Welcome to another episode of the Religion Law Podcast, where you learn about religious freedom and other religion law-related topics through a short question-and-answer format. I'm your host, Michael Fielding. Let's see how you do on today's quiz. Welcome to Religion Law Quiz number 50, numero 50. Uh, and I should add that this is part one of what will be multiple parts to religion law quiz number 50 and 50 is going to be dedicated to a very specific topic which is what can i do as a as a lay person uh, as an individual to protect and defend religious freedom i have a few thoughts on that and what i'm going to be doing is different podcasts over a period of time where i will give you some specific thoughts that i've had on that uh topic as I've thought about what can a, a regular run-of-the-mill person do to help uh, protect and defend religious freedom. And so in part one today, I want to talk about a, a topic that's really been on my mind for several months, and it can be summarized in the following five words, uh, tie your actions to religion. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that as we go through this podcast. And at, at, towards the end of the podcast, I'm actually going to give quite a few examples of ways that I think you can tie your actions to religion and how I think that, practically speaking, that's actually one of the best things that you can do to help defend and protect religious freedom. All right. Uh, but I need to give kind of a, a big lead up to all this to help you understand my thinking on this. Now, I want to talk about the concept of what I'll call lag versus lead indicators. Uh, I learned about these years ago, and I've always been really impressed about them. A, a lag indicator is something that essentially says where you have been. A lead indicator is something that says where you are headed. And let me give you a few examples of that. So like in the in the marketing world, uh, sales revenue for last year, last month, those are going to be lag indicators. It, it tells us how we did last year, last month. But if you look at a lead indicator, one of the lead indicators would be what are the number of sales calls that am I, am I doing each day or each week? And you can tell that if my sales calls are diminishing, then likely going forward, the revenue over time, you would anticipate that it will go down as well. Uh, another example is if you are a, a sports team and a lag indicator would be your, your wins or losses last season or maybe during the season leading up to now. Uh, but a lead indicator would be how much time are you spending preparing for the game? How much time are you spending watching videotape of your opponent all right that is an example of you know something that you're doing now it will be indicative of what your future performance will be um, another example that hits home with all of us is the total amount that you have in savings right now if you look at your retirement uh, what's that number uh, that number, whatever it may be, is going to be a lag indicator of how much you have been saving in the past. Uh, but if we want to talk about a lead indicator, an important lead indicator would be how much, or excuse me, what percentage of your weekly or, or bi, uh, bi monthly check are you putting into 
savings for retirement. That is going to be a lead indicator as to what you may expect to have in the future if you, you know, follow good investing principles and, and save it up appropriately. So this, this whole idea of a lag indicator versus a lead indicator, it actually also applies to religious freedom. And one of the things that's really impressed me over time is this idea that the law is a lag indicator. Uh, and the law means it is a reflection of society's values. That's really what law is. It's It's an embodiment of what we as society collectively believe, but it's a lag indicator because it, the, the law that we have today is a product of things that were enacted in the past. And obviously some of those laws may be very old. The Constitution, the U.S. Constitution is a great example of that, how it's been around for over 200 years and continues to govern the framework of the United States. Uh, but there are also other laws that are still applicable that maybe have been on the books for decades. Uh, again, all of that is a lag indicator of what society has valued. And, and I would say that the fact that they are still on the books today, the various laws, that is an indicator that society still continues to value the law, albeit admittedly there are changes in the law. And obviously when a, when a change in the law occurs, that is a reflection that society is now changing how it values or how it believes we should proceed, you know, with whatever particular area of law is being changed. Okay. So then you say to yourself, well, what is a lead indicator with uh, religious freedom? And I would submit that one of the lead indicators with religious freedom are these various surveys that you'll hear about from time to time that talk about uh, the participation of Americans in in religious uh, activity, and there it's very well documented that over the past 10, 15, 20 years, there has definitely been a decline in what I'll call religiosity in the United States. And when I mean a decline, uh, those numbers would include the number of people that are affiliated with a particular religion generally, the number of people that attend worship services on a, a weekly or monthly basis, uh, the number of people that read scriptures daily or weekly, uh, the, the frequency that people pray. Uh, when you look at all those various indicators, there is definitely a decline in participation in religion. And what that means is that as more and more people uh, migrate away from religion, you would expect that there will be a corresponding lessening appreciation of the role of religion and the good that it does. And it would make sense because if you have people that are no longer religious, no longer actively involved in it, they uh, to some degree or extent, uh, may not have a value for it. And over time, you would expect to see that if, if these numbers were to continue to grow, that there would be less of appreciation for religion. And in turn, ultimately, that may work its way uh, into the laws. So then the question is, okay, that's that's good. That's interesting. But what can I do about it? And I go back to this point of uh, you need to tie your actions to religion. Now, hold on with me here because I'm going to explain that concept in, in a few more minutes. But I want to give another important key idea here for you to, to munch on mentally, so to speak. Uh, 
a very pervasive attitude in today's society is, you know, quote unquote, doing your own thing, whatever that may be. Um, and in some ways, doing your own thing, I think, is a good thing. But at the same time, I personally think it can lead to some problems because what it does is it brings uh, to the forefront this key critical question of moral relativism versus moral truth. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, as I understand it, moral relativism is this idea that whatever I do is right. Uh, in contrast, the, again, as I understand it, the idea behind moral truth is that there is this idea or the concept that there is a God, a supreme being, and there are absolute truths, some absolute moral laws. And that's a really important fundamental question, moral relativism versus moral truth. We're not going to sit here and try to answer that as part of the Religion Law Quiz podcast today. But what we want to do is just point out the existence of these two competing ideas that people are confronted with, that everybody as an individual is confronted with. Is there a supreme being? Is there God? Is there Are there moral laws? Or is are we just in a situation of moral relativism? Now, uh, what religion teaches is that there is moral truth, absolute moral truth, that there is a God. Uh, that we are his children, and that uh, he has decreed certain moral laws, which, when obeyed, bring great blessings. So an example that, for me, has been just really powerful uh, that I think we can all relate to is let's think about the, the 1960s when humans went to the moon for the very first time. The thing that has always stood out to me about that is that when mankind, uh, for the very first time, put foot uh, put a foot on the moon, that was the first time in the history of mankind that humans had had obeyed every single physical law necessary to get a human being from Earth to the moon and back again. And if you think about it, that's absolutely true. There, there are certainly very real physical laws that govern our existence, gravity, for example. Uh, but there are other laws. Uh, to put a human uh, to the moon, you had to have enough thrust in the rocket. The, the rocket system had to be made in a way that the jet fuel didn't explode. Once you had the, uh, the astronauts in outer space, there had to be a container uh, in the, the the spaceship so that the air would be contained so that they could breathe so they could travel there and back anyway i could go on but you get my point here which is there were all these physical laws which when obeyed ultimately brought the blessing of being able to have a, a person on the moon well it's the same idea behind moral law which is when you obey these various laws then you get the blessings that are attributable or associated uh, with that. Now, going back to this idea of moral relativism versus moral truth, uh, there seems to be in society this, uh, what I'll call the soft underlying pressure to not talk openly about one's religious beliefs. And I think a lot of times that may be driven by the fact that uh, religion is viewed as a very sensitive topic, and obviously it's very, very deeply personal, and there is a, I think, a, a, a good desire not to offend somebody or, or upset someone. 
but at the same time, what that leads to is the fact that nobody talks about their faith and how it motivates them. And I think that becomes uh, a problem because what it ends up being is uh, people end up suppressing that which is at their core identity and which quite candidly really motivates them and moves them to do the things that they uh, do. Now, one of the things that I really appreciate in our culture today is I, it feels like there is definitely a cultural trend of respecting each person as an individual. And I, I think that is a very good thing because it recognizes that every single one of us is a unique person and that we are all individually worthy of respect. That is a very good thing. Um, and what I think we need to do is take advantage of that very good concept, that idea of respect for one another. And when we talk about the things that we do, we need to indicate that I do this, the particular things that I do because of my religious belief. And by doing that, what we are essentially saying is that my actions are driven by my religious belief. And if we have this current understanding of respect for one another, and if we do it in the right way, uh, that, you know, I, I do these actions because of my religious belief. And, and if I say that not in a condescending way, not in a, uh, a way that suggests that you have to do this, but just explaining this is what I believe and this is why I do the things I do, what that does is it fosters a, uh, a situation of respect and understanding for one another where we can appreciate the differences that we have and then even honor or respect the fact that somebody does something that may be different than what I necessarily believe, but which I will respect that and honor that person in that regard. So let me give you some several tangible examples that you can uh, see how a person can tie their actions to religion. Uh, the first example that I can think of is a few years ago I was at a it was kind of a work retreat, and they had a, a dinner situation. And at that dinner situation, I ended up sitting down uh, towards the back of the room, and I was sitting across from a fellow uh, from St. Louis who had, had never met before in, in, uh, at the law firm that I'm at, and he was eating uh, some food that was a bit different. That really puzzled me. And so I started asking him about it, and uh, wondering if it was, you know, like he's just trying to eat healthy or maybe had some dietary restrictions. And he said, it turns out that he was a, uh, a Jew and he, he was eating a kosher meal. And uh, that opened up the door to a very great discussion. I had, I had obviously met a lot of Jews over the years, but I'd never met somebody who was a very, uh, what I'd say, a very deeply, deeply focused, practicing Jew. And he opened up and just shared a lot of what his daily life is like uh, in observing uh, the Jewish faith. And I really appreciated that, just learning about it and hearing of his devotion. And I came away from that really, really respecting him as an individual and also respecting the fact of how devoted he was of, uh, uh, you know, like, the example he gave was, hey, if I'm traveling and it's going to be the Sabbath, I need to get a hotel and then just stay there because I can't travel on the Sabbath. I was really appreciative of his devotion of him wanting to honor the Jewish Sabbath to do that. 
I give you several other examples so you can relate to this. Uh, I'm, I've said this on prior podcasts. I'm a member of the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and, and a lot of times people will wonder, why do uh, people of your faith, why don't they smoke uh, or drink alcohol or even have uh, or drink coffee or tea? Well, the answer is uh, because there was a revelation given uh, back in the 1830s to Joseph Smith, who members of the church accept as a, a modern-day prophet, and it warned of uh, cons- uh, conspiring actions of people regarding these substances, and it, it gave a warning that we shouldn't uh, smoke or drink or uh, drink coffee or tea. Uh, and because I accept that as a, a, a revelation from God, I try to obey it, I follow it. Uh, and when people ask about that, I can explain I do this because of my belief in God. All right, let me give you another example. Uh, years ago, one of my daughters had a friend. Uh, they were really good friends at school, and so my daughter naturally wanted to invite her friend over uh, to come play on Saturday. And we were surprised when her parents said, sorry, we can't. But then we found out that uh, my daughter's friend and her parents were Seventh-day Adventists. And as you know, Seventh-day Adventists uh, uh, have Saturday as their Sabbath day. And this family was very devout. And I really appreciated that of them uh, indicating to us their belief in God and how they observe the Sabbath on Saturday. And we really respected that because we knew it was important for them. Uh, I give another example. I'll give, for me personally, I, I live here in Kansas City. And if you know anything about football in the last few years, there's been a lot of reasons to watch football on Sunday. Well, the uh, situation is for, for me personally, I, I truly try to honor the Sabbath day. It's really important to me. And, and for me personally, one of the things, again, this is for me personally, I believe that I should not be uh, watching football on on Sunday because to me it just makes it feel like the day is like any other day. So I personally make that choice as a way of my worship of God of trying to keep uh, the Sabbath day holy. I have a, another example. I have a friend, a very good friend from work, have known him for many years. He's a, a very faithful Catholic. And every spring uh, he would say, well, I'm giving up this or that for uh, for Lent. And he, uh, the thing that has re- really, there's a lot of things about my friend that have really impressed me about, uh, that I'm impressed about him. He's a, just a really good person generally. But one of the things about the Lent is he has been very faithful in following Lent each year. And I respect that and I appreciate the fact that it's tied to uh, his belief in God as a, as a practicing Catholic. I'll give you another example. A few years ago, my wife and I were invited by a Muslim friend to a, a break the fast. This was during Ramadan, and they had a essentially a, a public dinner at the mosque where they invited a lot of different people who weren't Muslims to the mosque. And we were able to go there, and they uh, played a video about fasting and talked a bit about prayer. And then we had the the break the fast with our Muslim friends. I really appreciated that event and being invited to that. Uh, Candidly, I'll say that was one of the best videos I had ever seen about uh, fasting. I'm obviously not Muslim, but I will tell you that there are definitely some uh, uh, some core beliefs in the Muslim faith that I 
really appreciate because they resonate with me. Uh, for example, fasting and prayer are two examples uh, of practices that are really important to me, that are super important to Muslims, and obviously uh, would be important to people of many other faiths as well. Uh, I could go on with several other examples. Uh, uh, why did I serve a two-year mission? Well, I did it because I wanted to share my belief in God. Uh, another example uh, that we can uh, give of, of maybe a final concluding example is service. Uh, and this is an interesting one because there are a lot of good people in society, even people who are non-believers, uh, people not of faith, but they inherently recognize the good that comes from service. Now, there are also uh, believers, people of faith, and they serve because they are trying to follow uh, the guidance of, of what they feel God has commanded, that we need to care for the poor and needy, and, and recognizing that service is part of a celestial life, where you could say service helps us uh, become more like God by reaching out and serving our, our fellow man or fellow woman. And the point here is that when we do these things and people say, why do you do that? It's important that we uh, tie our actions to religion. And what it does here is it reinforces this idea of, of that we believe in absolute truth and, and desiring to follow that, uh, that truth. Now, it's not done in a pretentious way. It's not done in a condescending or holier-than-thou way. It's done in simply a matter-of-fact way. And the idea, the core point here is that, again, as we're seeing the decline in religiosity in the United States, is there are people that uh, are good people, but they are moving away from religion. They may begin to lose respect or understanding for the value of religion. And it's important that when we are doing things that we do, that we, again, share in, a, in an appropriate way, that we are doing these things because of our belief in God. And when we do that, again, in an appropriate way, not in a condescending way, what it helps teach or explain is that I, as an individual, I value religion, and hopefully you are living your life in a way that they can see that you are a fundamentally good person, and they can begin to see that there is value in protecting religion. And, and quite candidly, there's extremely good value in protecting the practices of people of many different faiths, because while those practices are different, what is happening is it is leading these us as individuals to try to do good and to uh, try to live in a manner that uh, we believe is is pleasing to our maker. So, uh, well, that does it for today. Uh, this has obviously been a very long Religion Law Quiz podcast. I hope that you have found this helpful. We will have future episodes where we talk about what you can do to help defend and protect religious freedom, where I will share with you some additional ideas on that topic. Thank you for joining today. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember, Religion Law Quizzes are for educational purposes only and are not intended to be relied upon as legal advice. If you have found this episode to be helpful, please share it and leave a review. Until we meet again, keep being an influence for good.